You're listening to Dodge Movie Podcast. Your hosts are Christy and Mike Dodge, the founders of Dodge Media Productions. We produce films and podcasts, so this is a podcast about films. Join them as they share their passion for filmmaking. Welcome back, everybody, to the Dodge Movie Podcast. This is episode 121. We are going to be talking about the 1989 Uncle Buck. We watched this for free with a seven-day trial to AMC+. Plus. So if you're willing to do that, just set your iCal in six days. Cancel AMC. And they played commercials. Yes. So it still had commercials. The director is John Hughes, who we know from Planes, Trains, and Automobiles in 87, Ferris Bueller's Day Off in 86, and The Breakfast Club in 85. And if you don't know him from other things, get a life. Um, (laughs) He also wrote it. It stars John Candy, Macaulay Culkin, Jean Louisa Kelly. I believe she was the old. Yeah, she's the oldest. Tia. Tia. Gabby Hoffman, who I absolutely love, played Maisie, is a sweet little girl. H and GB. Yeah. Um, Amy Madigan was Clara. Oh, stupid autocorrect. She, it was Clarice? like Shan, it wasn't Shanice? Shanice. Shanice. It changed it to Chance, but it was Shanice. <laughs> Shanice the rapper. Yeah. <laughs> Elaine Brock uh, was Cindy. Garrett Brown was Bob. Lori Metcalf. Yay. It was yeah. Marcy. He lo- We're big Lori Metcalf yeah, fans. Yeah, this is, I, I think, the first time I ever saw Lori Metcalf. And I, I didn't remember until I saw her name in the in the credits. I know. I was very excited to see her in this. Uh, the DP is Raph D. Bodie, and he did Dress to Kill in 80 and Don Juan DeMarco in 94 and then The Accused in 88. Yeah, let's just keep moving Tough along. Shoes. Yeah, this is a Universal Pictures. The synopsis for this film is bachelor and all around slob Buck babysits his brother's rebellious teenage daughter and her cute younger brother and sister. So pretty basic synopsis. I've got one. No, I have three taglines for you. Okay, lame on me. Okay, this one is in all caps, but I'm not going to yell. Oh, no, it's dot, dot, dot. Oof, that's not good at all. (laughs) Okay, mind you, this came out after Home Alone. Okay, after Home Alone. Getting rid of intruders was tough, but here's a menace that's coming to stay. Okay. So it's interesting that they're calling back another film I was going to say franchise, but at this point it was just a film. Yeah. But they're basically using Macaulay Culkin's iconography to promote this film, which Dustin did say that taglines are marketing. I think this is the winner. He's crude. He's crass. He's family. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. All right. So I just want to a couple. um, I kind of um, touched on one thing. This is the highest grossing film outside of the Home Alone franchises to feature Macaulay Culkin. So I think, you know, everyone so responded to his character in Home Alone that this one was like, you've got John Candy and now this new kind of wonder king, wonder king, um, Macaulay Culkin. And, and then it's all written and directed and produced by John Hughes. How could this go wrong? Right. Yeah. So I think that's why it did well. But um, it's interesting because you gave me some trivia or not so much trivia, but you had done some reading in John Candy. And I don't know if we just, you know, because of social media wasn't a thing or were we still in that Hollywood system where the the studios protected the private lives. But I did not realize that 
his like his addictions to drugs and his right. heavy drinking and like you even said he was a heavy smoker and I was almost like stunned by hearing all of that information because I didn't feel like like that wasn't in People magazine or <laughs> I don't know I just I was really stunned to me he just seemed like a sweet guy well I think he was a sweet guy too yeah, but this, he was sorry. also um tortured and maybe a bit of an addict yeah so apparently one night during filming he went to a bar with the music supervisor and he spent most of the night there meeting people. And the next day, John Hughes got a call or heard a caller on the radio show who was excitedly describing his evening with John Candy. And Hughes was so upset with him. And despite his assertion that Buck was supposed to appear disheveled, Hughes canceled, which we know how expensive this is. Oh, yeah. Canceled his scenes for the day and told him to get himself together and get some sleep. So my first thought when I read that was, this is kind of like if, let's say you had a shot in a park and, oh, it's raining today. So the location manager and the UPM are now scrambling to try to like, okay, wh- what are we going to do with this schedule? Okay, we'll move this scene forward. We'll, can we get the gym today? That to me, like they, Hughes kind of punished them yeah. right? more than... Because I'm sure John Candy was like, no, I can work, right? And and so he his pride was probably hurt. But I just think of the rest of the, the crew. Uh, he, we're doing what, boss? Mm-hmm. Wait, wait no, the guy, he's right over there. Let's just we get everything set up. Let's film, right? Like, that, that was a, oh boy. I want somebody to do, <laughs> I want somebody to do the documentary like they've done with like, I'm thinking of George Carlin. And then there's a Steven Spielberg one where they go and talk to all the people that worked I want a John Hughes documentary, like where we get, like, was he, like, was him just, was this him just throwing around his weight? Was this him like really saying we're working with children? You must, you know, show up. Like, was he punishing John Candy? Was John Candy that was out it of it? An like, intervention? Was he trying right. to wake him up? Yeah. Like, who don't knows? you want to know? Like, of course. Yeah. Okay. Kick us off with the pickup line for this film. Get your bag off the table. People eat there. That's Tia yelling at Macaulay Culkin's character. The kids. Yes. We're seeing the kids as they come in. So this establishes that Tia, the oldest sister, is the de facto mom. Mm -hmm. Right. And having. And how unhappy she is about it. Right. And having known an 18 year old girl who was the de facto mom for a six year old little brother. Yeah. I can tell you it's not a lot of fun. It really. No, it shouldn't happen. So they establish that as well there. And it kind of, you know, they they have a contentious relationship. But as you would, I think Macaulay Culkin is supposed to be like eight or something. And so, you know, he's kind of lippy and, and all that. So I thought that was adjacent to my theory. Is he older than Maisie? I believe Miles, yeah, is older than Maisie. Okay. That's, that's how I interpreted it. Miles, Maisie, and Tia. For cinematography, I enjoyed the montage because of... Having been a parent sleeping with children, there's a montage of (laughs) John Candy trying to sleep with the younger two and the dog. And you know what I really liked about that is when the girl is saying she wants to sleep with him, I loved that dialogue because as an adult male, that is kind of creepy to have a child in your bed. No. Yeah. That's like, no, 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 no. That's not, that's not how this works. She's not a toddler, but the child wins. Because they're just of like, course. no, because for them, it's just comfort. Right. Like, 
and and then she you know k- kicks him off the bed and it's great and then they all end up on the floor so i thought that was <laughs> but uh, i like how halfway through the night that like the, i think they were all on the floor but then they get they all get back in right. the bed and and so if you notice when he was sleeping on the floor he'd gone and got a bath towel to, to <laughs> lay down just as some amount of padding so, on the yeah. carpet, right? <laughs> it was so well done. Yeah, I and liked that. There's also a housework montage that I enjoyed of him doing a bunch of stuff around the house. Yes. And which is good because it shows us as a character his growth. Because at the beginning of the film, he's supposedly this kind of um, slob. But I will be honest, I don't really think they established that very much. We have one shot of his apartment. And it doesn't look that bad. Oh my God, no. His I made a note. His apartment, it's in it's under sets. Buck's apartment with all the cub gear and how messy it is. And then the closet. His apartment was atrocious. Uh, Don't you remember the closet scene? It's in the trailer. He goes in to get something and it's like Fibber McGee. Everything falls on him. Well, we, we do have the, the classic bowling ball stored on an <laughs> on a high shelf. Which, because who does that? You you put it on the floor of the closet. Yes, <laughs> unless you want to set up heavy. that gag. Yeah, yeah. No, his apartment was a church. Well, I think in a way, like this is so funny, you guys. This is what I live with. Very very early on in the film, in fact, I believe it's the scene where he com- he comes to the home, so his brother's home. So they're really this can't be attributed to Buck, but Mike stops the the. <laughs> to point out that on the table there's about four maybe five condiments like ketchup hot sauce <laughs> maybe some syrup i don't know there was some things and every single bottle the lid is off and it's on the table and he says wait why why and i think it was to show because later they show that same table and it's almost like it's tidy with just like a nice little yeah, it's nap. got a bowl of oranges yeah. in the middle. And so I think, but they didn't chronologically put it in there correctly because the all of that should have happened after Buck came, not the day Buck came. Well, I do think the replacement of the bowl of oranges is after the... After that is, has, but I'm right. saying the lid's off. It's the night that Buck comes. So that means the family did that, not... Yeah, so it's to, to the listeners... <laughs> I, I, I stand by so this, much time on these little things. I stand by that assessment because it was so <laughs> odd because I didn't know anybody who stored their condiments on the table, particularly with I the lids think, off of them. I don't think it's that abnormal to have con- like like especially hot sauce. People who use hot sauce probably don't bother putting it away because they use it on everything. Right. But I think what was over the top and one lid. Okay. But all four lids of the condiments, that was bizarre. And we've spent so much time on this. I can't. Right. So I I just want to finish this off by saying whoever the production designer was for this film, I want you to call me because we needed to get through this. We need an answer. But now that we've gone into sets, I do have, there's another thing that, that bumped me Mm -hmm. that I didn't pause to make you listen to, but I'm going to (laughs) now is the front door to that house has not one, but two of the little peepholes where you can look out to see if it's the ups guy or a burglar. Right. So you don't. Why two? So that you can just look at it like binoculars. No, I don't. I don't know. That's <laughs> yeah, I love. I love your binoculars. <laughs> yeah. It's like both look with both eyes. Yeah. Is is one like more powerful so you can see the mailbox and the, the other is a wide know, angle. The wife didn't know how to close one eye. 
Okay, that's awesome. I love those ideas. Let's go with those. <laughs> okay. The one thing that was kind of weird, and I don't know if this was like a cut that was made for TV maybe, but there were moments where it would just dip to black but wouldn't go to a commercial. Yeah, I mentioned that under cinematography. I don't know if that's editing or whatever. But yeah, it felt like it, it, it was going to black for a commercial break. And then I realized, oh, wait, we're just watching a movie. So that would be curious if other people watch it in a different uh, streaming service or if they remembered, was it like that when it first came out? I actually think we have the DVD. I feel like I've seen the uh, yeah, we, movie. We should, we should talk we should. To, to the older okay, boy. And so see. I'm moving on to writing now. Yeah. And that we set up early, I think obviously before Buck gets the call from his brother, he's talking to his girlfriend, Shanice, and she's nervous. He's not going to come to work. She's finally gotten him a job where she works and, and she is setting up. And so he, no honey, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. Like he's promising her. And so obviously then he gets this call from his brother. So now he has to call her and say, Hey, guess what? (laughs) And and I think they do a good job setting up that he has a track record of not showing up. And it's, I love it when she says, I feel like you, you like um, don't want to take or don't want this job. And he says, well, yeah, if I had any other choice, I wouldn't take it. <laughs> I mean, he was pretty upfront about it. But I wanted to highlight that this was kind of empowering because this was in 1989 and Shanice owns her own tire business. Right. That's pretty pro. But this is a great scene because to me it shows the excellence of John Candy. I'm sure maybe John Hughes who wrote, you know, some of these lines, but it's a one-sided conversation for the viewer. We're only seeing John Candy's side on the phone. And he's trying to get out full sentences, but you can tell Shanice (laughs) is cutting him off. And so he's basically interrupting himself. Do you want to, Give it it because I think if I try it. Yeah, I'm not really sure. I just, I'll say one of my buddies really loved the scene, but it's like, yeah, but okay. No, Shani, I, no, it's just always like two or three syllables and he gets cut off. It is so well done. And in a sense, it's kind of a little bit like the Simpsons rake bit Mm -hmm. that it goes on and it kind of gets a dip and then it comes back. I'll see if I can find a clip and put it in the show notes because it's just, it's it's probably Um, but there's a lot of really funny lines in here. So I don't know whether it's John Hughes or John Candy wrote mm-hmm. them, but mm-hmm. Candy's delivery. But one that I made a note of that I really love is um, Shanice says, I want to hear the pitter patter of tiny feet before I die. And without missing a beat, he says, I'll get you a mouse and a piece of sheet metal. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just like, it's pretty funny. But the, probably the best of all is he's trying to convince uh, Tia to go bowling later in the film. And she, he says, it's a great sport and it's virtually impossible to get pregnant while doing it. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many great gags in this. Like he goes yeah. to the wrong house. He has a plate and he accidentally drops it. Like it's a decorative <laughs> plate in the living room and he accidentally drops it. So he's like, wow, they made a non-breakable plate. And then he just <laughs> hits it against the piano. And of course it shatters. Right. And I mean, there's just, it, there's just. It's classic 80s, silly kind of John Hughes. The he you figured out what it was is he brings in the like the tray that I guess you put under a car. Yeah. And he puts it on top of the stove and turns it into this giant griddle. And he makes this like, a you know, just insane pancake that. Right. And he's two, flipped, three feet in diameter. Yeah. And he flips it with like the snow shovel. And then I noticed, did you <laughs> see 
but then there's a stack of pancakes, these ridiculously right. large pancakes. And the the pat of butter yeah. has to be like, I don't know, 24 cubes that were all put yeah, together. It's, it's almost like, yeah. Like a foot by he, foot pat of he, butter. He took a bunch of sticks of butter. And you can even kind of see the, the seams where I think he smushed them together. Yeah. But it was funny in the trivia, somebody said, uh, well, you can tell that the pancakes when he serves them are a smaller diameter than the pancake he cooked. So first of all, it's possible he had to cut the edges around because they, mm-hmm. they overcooked in order to get the metal cooked. The outside was over. But also, shut up. Right. <laughs> right? It's a movie. It's, it's a funny. silly gag. But I liked when he made the pancakes because to me, it was like he's being irreverent. He's yeah. being an uncle. You Who wouldn't want an uncle to come over and right. make a- but. Two foot diameter. It's Miles' birthday, and he is over the moon that for his birthday breakfast, he gets these giant pancakes. And to me, that's when we see that. Because I think at first, the kids are a little nervous because they're just like, oh, is this guy safe? Like, Tia hates him right away. We get that. She's a teenager. She's going to hate him. And the younger two, I feel like, are kind of a little bit nervous. And like, we even see the lunch that he packs for uh, Miles, and it's not what a kid would want. And so with that birthday party, that's like the turn that now the little kids are like, oh, I like this guy. He's cool. Right. There's a, a line that sets that up from Hughes, uh, the tension, when very early on Tia says, we need boys so they can grow up, get married and turn into shadows. So her thing is her father is absent and then she's dating this loser who is also absent. He just wants a little... um but he's not there for her in any other way. And so when Buck shows up, he is also like that. He's been absent for Shanice. So, but the arc here is, I feel like the filmmakers and John Candy in particular landed this perfectly because he doesn't seem like a jerk. He just seems almost like a child. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. he grows up, he matures in this film. And so you like him to begin with, but you love him. By the end of the film. So super well done. That is evident when I watched, there was a deleted scene and I think it was deleted for time because it was pretty long and I can put it in the show notes. But I think this shows that moment where he's kind of like growing up and it's a pretty funny scene. He has all of his friends over and it's funny because you know how we always talk about like the Benetton ad, like, you know, yeah. the, well, what this was, it was almost like the blue collar Benetton. You, <laughs> one friend worked at a car place one friend was like a janitor. One, fr- it was like one friend was a construction worker. You know, like like um, village people. It was so <laughs> funny to see all the different blue collar workers that showed right. up, and they're sitting around and they're playing Pictionary, and they're all complaining because they're like, "Look, can't, can't we just please play poker?" And they're betting. This is hilarious. They're betting on these well, these kids' games, and they're talking about, "Well, you know, you didn't like when we played shoots and ladders," and they're talking about, and he goes, "I promised." my sister-in-law that I would not play poker in this house. Why wouldn't she want them to play poker? Because they're gambling in front of the children. So they're right. still gambling. They're still gambling. But they're, they're just still playing, the same kind of guys. But they're just playing. Right. Yeah, exactly. They're the influences game. she doesn't yeah. want around her kids. Yeah. But they're playing children's games. And so that makes it. But it's like he's trying so hard to be the person that he knows his sister-in-law. Because we see throughout the film he knows she doesn't like him there are different things that they show us that he gets a clear message oh Oh, she hates me yeah but 
I think it also shows <clears throat> that he's he's smart. Yeah. Because he figures out how to manipulate the 16-year-old, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I thought it was interesting backing up just a tiny bit about how you mentioned these blue-collar guys, but he's smart. And so we find some exposition. It was really cleverly done. It's when Miles grills him, and there's this rapid fire, like, office, no. Why not? Don't need one. Like, and Are you married? Yeah. Yeah. Back up. No. That's a long story. Yeah. Children. Like, yeah. And they go back and forth. So it's a bunch of exposition, but it also establishes, and, and there's some also some dialogue in there about how he was happy that he didn't have to have an office or a day job, but all of a sudden now he's at an age where, you know, well, maybe he needs to. And then, of course, there's the comic hijinks because then the neighborhood, uh, I guess she's not old enough for a cougar, but the divorcee. Marcy. Marcy, played by Laurie Metcalf, wonderfully. Now, you know, wants to get her hooks into him. And once he's figured out he really would like to be more responsible and be with Shanice, then, of course, she finds him dancing in the living room and, and things go sideways. And, you know, typical reversal. But it's all centered around that he's actually a pretty competent guy. He mm-hmm. just didn't apply himself. Right. And that scene you were talking about between him and Miles, the way that they did it is candy, basically, for Macaulay's uh, close-ups, his his shot, Candy was feeding him his lines, and he was basically just repeating him, and that's how they were able to get the rapid fire. Boom, 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 boom. That's back really forth. well done. Yeah, so cool. I like as the film goes on, and he's now going to rescue Tia. There's a scene where we think Tia and oh, her right. boyfriend are in, like they're at a party. And as kids do, they're up in the, one of the upstairs bedrooms and he busts into the door. And so he's like, like you said, silhouetted with yeah. um, smoke yeah, and he's got fog. this big drill. And so he almost becomes like an action hero in that scene in a way, you know, kind of right. a schlubby yeah. one, but he is the one that's saving the day there. And then it turns out it's not Tia, it's somebody else. And I liked it, but this might perhaps go into the couldn't be made today. So he takes this this loser that Tia was dating, Bug, and he basically kidnaps. Him. Yes, he Duck takes him up and throws him in the trunk of his car, which yeah. I think is actually uh, appropriate a, for that that kid. At least a misdemeanor. Yeah, that that, <laughs> that, that, that might not go go well. However, Chicago, nineteen eighties, perhaps to be like, ah, he deserved it. But so, uh. I just, to me, I didn't really kind of remember. He's almost, it's like crazy, like a fox. So like he brought up pancakes and other stuff. He has creative solutions to things. Mm -hmm. So that to me was, he wasn't just kind of like a buffoon. He was just kind of dancing to the beat of his own drummer. And uh, he just needed to kind of get motivated and focused. Yep. Yep. I noticed in older movies, you get to see what actors teeth really look like. I did notice that, <laughs> that some of the actors, I will not name yeah, names. Won't um, name names. This was before they got caps. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's teeth are perfect in today's movies. Yeah. And I did notice this in a, a film I saw recently. I think it was in the theater where all of the adults had the caps that are so white, they're almost blue tinted. Mm-hmm. And then the 10 year old girl actress she just has normal teeth, normal and teeth. it really stood out the difference. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? What we've gotten used to, right? 
So under sets, almost every set in this film was built in a local high school gymnasium, including the Russell's house. And I don't know if you remember when we, I don't know if we did talk about Home Alone, but maybe I just read this. Hughes apparently liked to do this because they did that with Home Alone also. They, there is an exterior in Chicago of the Home Alone house that I think is right. com- of common it. knowledge that yeah. people know where it is. But he, for the interiors, Hughes had them build in the summer when the school's not being used, they use the gymnasium, which that's just that's bananas. If I remember correctly, that's how they did Animal House. They took like a football field and they built all of the sets that they used on the field. That's interesting because I know at least the exterior because Animal House was filmed in Eugene. Right. I'll have I, to look I that up. I could have misremembered, but I thought it was Animal House. But I know that other productions have done that. Now, this to me feels like a profligate waste of money. It's a huge waste of money. Because you're going to have to tear it down and you build an entire house. Right. But maybe warehouse space is just so expensive. Or was. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. All right. Any head trauma in oh, Uncle Buck? Is there head trauma? And, and is Buck the only one that gets it? No. At 1225, the bowling ball falls on his head, as mm-hmm. we mentioned in the closet. At uh, 4854, he punches the clown twice. <laughs> that clown really had it coming. Yep. At one oh five ten, uh, Buck and Marcy headbutt while dancing. The old uh, <laughs> dancing headbutt. At one twenty eight fifty five, Buck hits Bug in the head with a golf ball when he releases him from kidnapping. And at one thirty one fifty two, Shanice kicks the swinging door into his head. Into whose head? Buck's head, because he was listening to when oh, Tio right. was giving. Now I I did that scene has a particular thing because. They then play the cuckoo sound, right. the cuckoo clock sound. And what I, I mentioned to you while we were watching it was there were some people who were upset with the gong sound in 16 Candles every time Long Duck Dong did something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and they said that, that it was racist. And of course, they picked the gong because it's Chinese sounding. And that part is true. But I think what we see here is John Hughes likes kind of morning zoo style sound effects right he just right he, he has a guy with a soundboard and uh you know when something happens he wants the or whatever yeah, he apparently has a trademark although he also has a trademark of a close-up of eyes right. i read so we know tia smooches her high school boyfriend any right. other smoochies smoochy 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 i only have the note of tia and bug kissing on the stairs of the high school so Shanice didn't get one at the end with Buck. No, I think they, if I recall correctly, they go to their separate cars. They're, they're like patched up, but she still has her Bronco there. And he goes to his horrible car instead of just abandoning it on the side of the road, which would be a reasonable thing to do. Now, Buck has a very interesting vehicle. So I know there's a driving review. He does. Yes. Would you like to talk about car? Yes, please. So this is a 1977 Mercury Marquis. Now, I don't even know how you would say the specific body style. It's spelled B-R-O-U-G-H-A-M. I don't think anyone I knew ever pronounced it. Well. But we maybe would have said Broham. Mm-hmm. But apparently Broom is actually the, the standard pronunciation. I don't know. Basically two or coupe. I, I can't figure out how that car bounced so much. It's like they completely removed the shocks. And it was just pure springs in the back. That was kind of, it was funny, but 
uh, it was a little over the top. Um, I did like that there is the red abandoned auto placard on the dashboard. <laughs> so somebody had already thought it was abandoned. And, but the... I'm talking I, about a show don't tell, right? Yeah. I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what was going on with the engine. Okay. So there's two things that are... No, first of all, it, it diesels when he shuts it off. It keeps running. And then it has this really comic backfire, right? And and so throughout the film, then then Tia begins to, you know, wait for it, wait for it. But dang. However, I was thinking, other than just the joke, why would that happen? And based on some of the other evidence, like the 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 massive oil smoke out of the tailpipe, I think he had a problem with the valve train. And it shows he doesn't take care of his car. Yes, which is actually good for the show don't tell because what does his girlfriend do? Tire store? Mm. Obviously, she knows people who, she, yeah. who could do that. There's also the parent. I think it's the, the parents. They have a white four-tour station wagon. And that seems kind of dorky now. But at that time, that the tourist was selling like gangbusters. That was a, a newer uh, for a Midwestern family like that, that was probably considered a, a decent ride. Mm-hmm. But that house is huge. You almost would have thought they'd have like a Volvo or something, right? And then lastly, I mentioned that Shanice drives a brand new Ford Bronco. It's an 89 Bronco in 89. So that shows us that not only is she a businesswoman who owns her own business, but she's successful because she has a new car. Mm-hmm. So I, I was like, boy, that's pretty well done. I like how they, they told us a little about Shanice with Shanice. her vehicle choice. Yeah. She was very much a part of the, the film. Um, shall we go to the numbers? Let's go to the numbers. Okay. Uh, Uncle Buck came out in 1989. Like I said, I could not find what the budget of Uncle Buck was, but it made domestically $66.7 million and adjusted for inflation today, that would be like 153.4 Probably covered million. the sets in the gym. Then. Yes. IMDb rates it with a 7.1 out of 10. Well, critics, a little short. Yeah. I think it's better than that. Critics gave it 62%, while audiences liked it a little bit better at 77%. It's a good length at an hour and 40 minutes, which I think was just perfect. It felt right. Yep. Rated a PG of the time. I don't even... When I was... Need to look up what when PG thirteen came out. I think it was a little bit before that. Wasn't it Raiders? Which would have been in the eighties, right? Yeah, or that's early earlier 90s. than that. Eighty four. Yeah, I feel like it came out in the eighties. Um, it is a comedy and it, it is very funny. I mean, I was worried about this one. I said to you right before we started watching it. Yeah. I'm scared this one isn't going to hold up. I'm or it's going to be cringe or we're going to be like, oh my right. god, this could not be made today. My expectations were low for a rewatch in in 2023, but it it, it held, held up, up very well. Very I well. was yeah, I was very pleased that there wasn't anything objectionable, really. No, no, not really. Yeah, good job, John Hughes. Um, all right, that will do it. Here is your second clue, Uncle Buck. For the month of June, write in, let me know what you think our theme for June is. You'll get two more clues. Next week will be National Treasure, a family favorite. And never forget, Dodges never stop and neither do the movies. Thanks for listening to Dodge Movie Podcast with Christy and Mike Dodge of Dodge Media Productions. To find out more about this podcast and what we do, go to dodgemediaproductions.com. Subscribe, share, leave a comment, and tell us what we should watch next. Dodges never stop, and neither do the movies.